Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 16 of Sketch Watch Play. I am John Flurry. And I'm Christopher Wade. And as of this episode, I'm going to start specifying the beginning where you can find us outside of these episodes if you want to uh, uh, get more info and even heads up on what we'll be talking about. Uh, we are on both Facebook and Twitter under the account and page name Sketch Watch Play. Uh, no spaces, obviously. Um, I also bring this up because... We are going to be very welcome to uh, any sort of feedback. If you have questions about the show, if you want to say what you like or don't like about the show, maybe even suggest stuff for us to cover because I think if it's something we mutually agree on, you could see it someday. Mm-hmm. Um, and was, oh, what was the other thing I wanted to bring up about it? Um, just yeah, just if you, oh, if you have any questions. And also, um, if you enjoy what we do and want, want it to help us reach more viewers, uh, we strongly encourage leaving positive reviews on things like iTunes. That can actually that can really help with search results and, and like the kind of publicity they give you. I didn't know that. Oh, and by the way, if you ever uh, um, uh, if you guys ever feel the need to uh, and have a nice long shave, I recommend Dollar Shave Club. No, no, that's that's just. That's you're just, just uh, you're giving them free publicity. <laughs> free publicity. I would I love actually, to chill for Audible or whatever, but I, I actually tried uh, Dollar Shave Club for a while. They're they're not bad. I will be honest yeah, yeah. on that. that. That's not a that's not a that's a throwaway. You guys can have it. Dollar Shave Club. I'm Welcome just to saying. shave watch play. <laughs> shave watch play is just a Review razor. All the razors. <laughs> no, no, no. We actually uh, we have a pretty limited uh, time frame tonight. Chris has to be up very early tomorrow, so we've got about roughly an hour. So let's just let's dive right into uh, what were I, I just a little build up. I went to uh, a very cool location that I've been trying to get more uh, familiar with, Phantom Comics, over in Dupont Circle in DC. People mm-hmm. who live nearby, check them out. There, they do a great job of spotlighting both mainstream and indie comics, and they're also one of the most inclusive places I know of when it comes to geek culture. They're like super productive and public about lgbt support and spotlight Sweet. uh which I, I i i always welcome but uh when i went there and was talking to some people and mentioned this podcast to them i got the same question from like three different people have you talked about spider-man homecoming yet i screwed up you need to stop carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders i want you to understand i'll do anything to protect my family I know you know what I'm talking about. Ah, yes. And that is what we're going to do right now because I saw it opening day. And Chris, you recently saw it. I recently saw it. It wasn't opening day. It was like the second weekend. Yeah, it's been out for about a month now. Um, What do you think? Oh, I I, I enjoyed it immensely. Yeah, same. Yeah, it was damn good. Like, I'm definitely hearing people say that man this completely blows amazing um amazing spider-man with andrew garfield out of yes. water it is and it definitely I would does say it is the best spider-man movie since spider-man 2 yeah yeah we've had a definitely. decade of like disappointing spider-man movies and it, we're finally getting back into the sort of things when they're under marvel's wing yeah except with uh without um uh everyone's favorite aunt may smashing the shit out of dr octavius <laughs> That one is still alive. <laughs> like, still kicking. Um, oh, man. Though, I, I mean, Marissa Tomei is, uh, well, she's, to, the, the, even the movie makes a point of, like, characters talking about, man, your aunt's hot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Homecoming does do that a lot. Um, and I, I, I appreciated this new take on Aunt May. I appreciated yeah. a new, there's a new take on everybody. Uh, um, for, for what it's worth, I, I was not. Um, I actually okay, stayed, spoilers. I'm, I think I'm guessing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, spoilers, spoilers. Please see the movie first. Spoilers, spoilers. Um, 
So I made it a point to stay away from as many trailers and as many teasers as I could. I only saw like one. Um, and I, I, I didn't want the experience colored for me. I, I was I, also I'm, I'm tired of superhero movies. So, yeah, we've about <laughs> there, there, there's that. Um, but at, by this point, I was like, OK, I'm willing to give this one a shot. And it's refreshing. Like I felt as refreshed as I did walking into Spider-Man Homecoming as I did with Wonder Woman. Because it's about uh, essentially these these youngins who want to be heroes, even if it's for very naive reasons, uh, for just because it's right, or because um, or because they want to impress uh, someone else. In this case, uh, Spidey trying to uh, impress Iron Man so he be- so he become more yeah, than what yeah. he is. That felt more like the central conflict to me than the, the actual villain. I know yeah. technically it isn't, but like that's what's really important to Peter in this movie is to really be uh, accepted as a proper Avenger when it's clear that Tony and uh, and Happy, who's John Favreau's limo character, are mm-hmm. still kind of seeing him as like a student more than anything. Yeah, or just just a brat in a suit basically who's who's bothering them, which is which is the same, which is a shame because that's technically how I see uh, how I see Tony most of the time. <laughs> I don't think this movie helped your opinion of Tony Stark much. It actually kind of did because I can see where he was coming from. Yeah, I, I can definitely see where he was coming from, and Tony has definitely grown. So seeing him in this film kind of take on the mantle of the mentor, even if it's kind of a shaky, yeah, <laughs> unavailable mentor. Yeah, it's. You know where he's coming from as someone who's I, been a hero. Who's and been I a also find hero. it cool that this character I've been following for a decade is now starting. He, he really is uh, helping to raise the next generation. Because yeah. we know – okay, in, so Infinity War, uh, we, we still don't know who's going to die. But Marvel has confirmed that after it, they're going to be shifting the focus primarily to the newer franchises. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. this – it is kind of uh, – this is kind of part of passing the torch. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And if – I mean, I'm I'm sure there's going to be more Spidey movies. They confirmed uh, Homecoming the- two is out in two years. So yes. yeah, yeah. I mean these. I mean this. The Homecoming was definitely super successful, and I'm I'm so glad that the character roster in Homecoming from Peter to Aunt May to his um what, what was his friend's name? Was I forgot. Uh, I think it was Ned. Yeah. Um, Ned grew on me. Yeah, uh, whoever his best friend was, and I'm sorry, I forget the name. Um, uh, I'm not sure if it's Ned, but I want to figure it out. Um, he was definitely super cool. Um, Flash really surprised me. Yeah, I like that Flash was actually kind of a nerd too. Yeah, Flash was not only a nerd, but he was kind of the he was kind of the jealous, uh, really, uh, really shithead. Not uh, not the jock, not the bully. He came that up a little more pathetic of- than past yeah. Flash versions. Yeah. Well, I, I I wouldn't say pathetic. I would say petty. Yeah, he's kind of more of a spoiled brat than like an alpha yeah, man. Yeah, and I appreciated that so fucking was, much. And uh, Michelle, that was her name, right? Yeah, yeah, Michelle. So like, I guess she's Michelle Jane. Michelle, ugh, uh, the movie could not hide that from me. That was the one thing. You know, okay, I'm gonna admit. I'm gonna admit something to me to you. Um, I didn't keep up to date, that update on like casting stories, so mm-hmm. I didn't know that character was in the movie, and I kept hearing them talk about Zendaya, and mm-hmm. I was completely unfamiliar with Zendaya, so I thought she was Liz. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then I got to the end, saw the credits, and Liz was some other girl I'd never heard of, and I'm like, wow. oh, well, Zendaya <laughs> is MJ. Okay, there you go. Well, yeah, when um, I, I actually really did enjoy MJ's character a yeah, lot. She, she was I, super surprising. She reminded <laughs> me of one of the best characters in Scott Pilgrim, uh, yeah. him. 
Mm-hmm. And that I think going forward, that's going to be a much more interesting MJ than the Kirsten Dunst damsel in distress version. I th- I think so too. Because she probably still will I, be in distress, but she's going to be very snarky about it. Well, I like the snark, and I love I I love really weird girls yeah. as characters. Like like that that is so enjoyable for me to watch because I mean you got MJ who's classic Kirsten uh, who was the classic Kirsten Dunn's uh, damsel in distress right. uh, who was very fiery at times and would put her foot down but she's she's there to fall in love with Peter we know yeah, that yeah. Um, with this uh, with this version of MJ we I, we got a glimpse into her character and I gotta give it props even though they tried to hide it and I'm not sure I, I'm not sure how many other people in the audience were like, yeah, we knew it was MJ. Um, but they did they did it in a way where, sure, they made it a surprise later. They also made it so that you were not comparing this MJ to yeah. a previous MJ. Yeah. This yeah. Was, Michelle was her own character yeah. as weird and as foul mouth and as goddamn silly as she was. She wasn't even. She wasn't even. Um, she wasn't even put in a position where she had to care for Peter. It was just, I don't give a shit. Go, 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 do what you got to do. Dude. Yeah. I, mean, I think <laughs> her her attitude for Peter again shows she's probably she has some respect for him. Yeah. Uh, or, so, you know, or she assuming, might like him, but she likes him in she likes him in a very strange yeah. kind of way, which I think, which I enjoy. Yeah. We should probably move on. There are a few things I want to touch on. One, uh, Tom Holland is awesome. Like, mm-hmm. What a find! Uh, it, it's you were saying too. It's so nice to have Spider Man who actually looks like a kid again. Yeah, yeah. I think he's actually yeah. like twenty now, but he's got the right build for it and the right mm-hmm. voice. His voice got, actually still reminds me of Tobey Maguire. He's got the sensibilities for it too. It's not so much where he's a twenty-six-year-old playing a fifteen-year-old as freshman, right. sophomore in college. He feels like a kid, like a yeah. genuine kid. He emotes and acts like one, and that's cool. Uh, I feel like the only thing that I still really want them to incorporate in future movies that they did, that they kind of have for the most part, is that Spider-Man is supposed to be very quippy in fights. He was in Civil War, so mm-hmm. maybe in, in Infinity War he'll be the same way. But I, I, weirdly enough, I feel like the only movie that ever really touched on that first scene was Amazing Spider-Man 2. Like the opening yeah. with him in that truck chase, he is quipping like hell, and it's one of the best parts. Yeah, and um, I, I know that quips are like a giant thing with Spidey. Sometimes they can come off as annoying, kind of like, and that's the same argument you can have with Deadpool. Mm-hmm. But here, I mean, there when is I, When the- I talked about the uh, MTV Spider-Man cartoon on Generation Animation, I mentioned that the quips got annoying in that. So yeah, it's a trick. It's a balancing act. Maybe that's why they don't do de- it. It's definitely a balance, but I am, I will lean away from quicks and uh, quips, sorry, quips. I, I said quicks. I would, quicks. I, I would lean less from quicks and more towards. He said it again. Uh, yeah, uh, God damn it! <laughs> I would lean less away from from witty, snappy wordplay right, right. during fights and more towards awkward teenage uh, bullshit that the yeah. kid has to go through. And I remember thinking Andrew Garfield overdid the awkward, at least in the first Amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, here it was just right. I still genuinely love this kid. Okay, and also Vulture was really cool and. Yeah. That was a twist you didn't have spoiled, I believe. Uh, what? You know the what? vulture I being did. Liz's dad. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Um, Serena turned towards me in the middle of the film, and she was like, "Did you see that coming?" And I was like, "No, I honestly did not see this one I, coming." They didn't really drop any huge hints. No, about it. 
And it was uh, brilliant. I, I think people say like you might be able to rewatch and hear him talk about his family. So yeah, yeah. But so it makes sense, but nothing that spells it out. And I'm mad that I had it spoiled for me just by looking at uh, uh, movie news about here is Liz's role. Spoiler. And I was like, oh, let me just see. I'm like, oh, okay, I guess that could be a mild spoiler. I know it's like the most. My audience was going, oh, oh. Yeah, it's the point where everything changes in a, in an instant. It's, it's effective. That whole yeah. scene in the car. I think the, I read an interview with either the writer or the director who said it's their favorite part of the movie because yeah. it's, it's like cool knowing, like being in Peter's shoes because you see Michael Keaton so good in this movie, like him slowly, it dawning on him. I think he, my favorite part uh, um, of the film. Actually, let me ask you, what was your favorite part of the film? That's pretty tough. I... I thought it was – it's not one of my favorite MCU films. It's one that's just generally solid all the way through. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would have to actually do some thinking outside of the podcast to say what a favorite part was. But sure, sure. Uh, I think – I think I do think a lot of my favorite parts came in the first half and okay. and the and the last uh, like 10, 15 minutes. I think yeah. the second, third act was a little whatever. But um, okay. what about you? Um, I have two favorite parts. Um my f- first favorite part is um, when there, uh, there's a fight that happens between spy, um, between Peter and Vol- um, and and the Vulture. Vulture. Yeah, I was about to say Voltron. Voltron season three coming out. Yeah, I don't think I don't think Spider-Man would last long against Voltron. <laughs> July fourth, uh, August fourth. Um, so there's a fight that happens between him and Michael Keaton, and Keaton basically drops a building on Spidey. Yeah, and, and every time we've seen Spidey in cinema. Or in stories, or, uh, or or in animation, it's very rare that we see um, Peter struggle. But in this this specific instance, it's effective. Peter's fucking crying, like he's, he's a, calling for help, like he's trying a, to lift it on his own, but he can't. Yeah, and there's eventually a building just, on him, and he is losing his shit. And it's like, holy crap, he's just a boy. Yeah. <laughs> um, I felt and I bring I bring that up because. Um, I had a favorite. I, I have. I, I have a favorite um, comic book artist. Well, he's among my favorites. His name is Brian Michael Bendis. Is he an artist or a writer? Uh, he is a writer. Okay. And he used to write for the Ultimate Spider-Man uh, collection back in the early, maybe mid two thousands. This is when Marvel is really starting to do. They're starting to revamp like everything. Like yeah, they Ultimate to was re- a big reboot. It was its own continuity yeah, that just recently yeah. ended. Yeah. So. Um, Spidey is a kid. He fights the Green Goblin, uh, and it's done in a way where Bendis's writing is very, 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 very witty. Like it's just nonstop words. Um, but there are points where he really, really gets. Well, I'm not, not going to say there are points. He really does get who Spidey is. There is a um, there's a part in Ultimate Spidey, and I don't want to spoil this, but it's around the same of what happens uh, in the movie and mm-hmm. of Homecoming where Spidey is essentially injured and he's injured in a way where um, he can't, he, he has to help himself yeah. and he's freaking out like, like any kid would uh, during, um, during this freak out stage. And Spidey freaks out a lot in ultimate Spidey, but seeing it on the big screen, yeah. it, it yeah, the really haven't really done that as well. Yeah. It really brought me back and really made me think this it's, this is not just different than, than yeah. Tobey Maguire I've, busting out of a debris. And I'm being one like, movie in, we're like one movie in one and a third of accounts of a war. And I already care for this Peter Parker more than the other two in movies. Definitely. Um, my um, second favorite part, and I'll be really quick about this yeah, we need to move on. is, is obviously the ending. Um, and <laughs> the very, very end, the very, very end. Yes, obviously, 
obviously spoilers, spoilers, yeah. spoilers. Yeah. Please jump ahead if you haven't. No, already. we've already spoiled a ton, and that, that's fine. That's fine. Um, but I'm just saying that this is heavy spoilers because by this point, Spidey gets his suit back and he puts it on inside of his apartment, and he's like, "Yeah, I can actually be this. Uh, I can actually be Spider-Man now." Pan over and pan over and fucking Aunt May sees him, and she's like. What the, the fuck? fuck? <laughs> cut to crap. Cut to Blink Screen Bob. Yeah, yeah. And the credits uh, are just rolling. Yep. And everyone's dying. And it's the perfect way to end that scene. And they have confirmed, yeah, she knows now. There's just they're not gonna write they're not gonna write out a way out of that in the next movie. Yeah. They, they want to do something different with Aunt May now. Cause I was I was already sick of like my amazing two just hiding it, hiding it, hiding it. Yeah, Aunt May has nothing to do in the amazing series because of that. Yeah, and that makes that made me so happy because there's there's a uh uh, there's a comic where Spidey comes across this really v- very hungry villain who makes it a mission to hunt Spider-Man. Yeah. Like he beats the shit out of him and makes it basically makes Peter run for his life Is in this many Craven? instances. Uh no, it's not Craven. It's some it's some other character who Okay. who basically feeds on uh, on um, on people who have animal-like powers. Okay, and it gets to the point where uh, uh, after after Spidey manages to beat him, uh, Peter like drags his uh, drags his broken, injured ass to his apartment and just collapses on the on, on his bed. And Aunt May comes into his apartment and is like, "Peter, you didn't you you sounded so you sounded so sad." By this point, Peter's called everyone and told them goodbye. He was afraid he wasn't going to make it. Wow. Um, and he's unconscious on the bed, and Aunt May just picks up his mask, and there's just like this nice single panel of Aunt May just losing her shit, <laughs> and Peter's just unconscious on the bed. Oh, I've been waiting for this scene to happen for so long, and I just cried yes when it finally <laughs> happened. Um, I'm sure many others did too. Yeah, this this was a good decision. Uh, you're not gonna. You're not going to be disappointed if you see Homecoming. It's a yeah, good oh, another thing I just want to say about that. Uh, the writers also pointed out secret identities are much less of a thing in the MCU. Yeah, they People are. People know who caps uh, Iron Man, just, uh-huh. uh, Thor. Almost no one has a secret identity. And these guys want to be known. They want to be known yeah. so I people... Think, can... I don't know if Ant-Man does, but he's not really known to the public. Yeah, not yet. Not yet. Same but, with Doctor yeah, Strange. But, but again, people... These these heroes want to be uh, want to be known to the public so people can trust them, admire them, yeah. or whatever, whatever, whatever their sensibilities happen to be. Yeah. And, that uh, might be. and that might be playing into Infinity War, where it's like they've been torn apart, there are disagreements about their methods, and then yet here's the biggest threat ever. Yeah, yeah. You know that that's something they're probably taking into account. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so real quick, we both recommend Homecoming quite a bit. And, Definitely. Uh, I You're going to have a good wit- time. Yeah, okay, that's a better. I couldn't think of a witty closing <laughs> line. But uh, let me just save and render now. I almost want to every – after what Felipe said last episode, I want to – every time we are about to transition and I, and I click stop to save, I add a guitar lick. Ding. Yeah. yeah, like that. Are you afraid of me? Now, we've talked a lot about, well, obviously cartoons, but we've talked about, we're both, we, we both consider ourselves storytellers, or at least yeah. <laughs> passionate about good storytelling. Yes, um, we are. And people tend to underestimate 
you know, when people, when most people think cartoons, we think of comedy. We think of something, like a lot of cartoons tend to be either streaming comedy or if it's like for all audiences, they kind of do it do, in terms of just put, like pushing the envelope of good taste for the sake of comedy. Yeah, uh, it's always, it's always very uh, extreme classy or very childlike or something. It's, it's one end of the extreme or the other. And, Family uh, friendly movie of the year. Yeah, yeah, but even both kinds of those, and even stuff in between, we tend to underestimate that uh, these move, these movies, these shows, these stories are can are, can just as easily live leave an emotional impact on viewers as in terms of any other story. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's right. Even if it's something made for kids, which is most of the stuff we're going to bring up in this list. Uh, yeah, but. I don't know what I can say beyond that for to be insightful, but we're kind of on a limited time frame anyway. So uh, Chris and I, we talked to each other for a bit and we came up with little lists of different movies and shows with moments we wanted to discuss. And Mm -hmm. I think we all, by all, I mean the two of us, uh, that's bad grammar. We have come up with a pretty good list. So Chris, I'm going to let you go first. What is, I'm going to give us about five minutes for each one. Chris, what is your first pick for emotional animated moments? For my most favorite emotional man- animated uh, moments, I have to go back to All Dogs Go to Heaven. You've gone soft. You, you care about her. Look, I don't care about the girl. I tell her things now and then. I pretend to be her best friend, but it's baloney. I thought I was your best friend. You are my best friend. With her, it's just business. It's always been business. I'm using the girl. Yeah. And, man, Don Bluth knew how to, cur- knew how to like, uh, uh, create and meld uh, a cra- a batshit crazy kind of world of talking dogs who sing and gamble and get killed. Whose <laughs> like his first couple of films? They were both weirdly dark, but also yeah. very heartfelt at the same time. Yeah, they were. I'm uh, I'm going to say this out loud, and I, I know a lot of animators will uh, will agree with me when I say that. Before Disney made me cry, Don Bluth made me cry. And no, I can see that. Yeah. And there was a point in All Dogs Go to Heaven where my soul shattered. <laughs> okay. So for some context, uh, the story revolves around uh, uh, about a dog named Charlie who gets killed, goes to heaven, uh, says, fuck you, and then uh, uh, lands, back on the earth, uh, lands back on Earth. Um and he has to take care of a kid named Anne Marie, right. and he and him and his partner are basically using Anne Marie and her ability to talk to animals to gamble and win races and to earn earn money. Uh, this is a children's movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a, it's one of those children's movies, children's movies where the hero is for most movie kind of a dick. Yeah, and, pretty cool. But, uh, and, and over over the course of time, Charlie right, really right, starts. Right, right. Charlie, Charlie really starts to care for this girl. But uh, priority one, he's got to earn some money. And while she wants to, oh, I don't know, uh, have a family of her own. Yeah. Uh, Charlie is like, well, you need money to earn a family. Then no, no self-respecting adult is going to have a poor uh, kid. And what does this lead to? This leads to uh, Anne Marie hearing Charlie tell itchy that after we've made all the money in the world we're gonna dump this yeah, kid we're just I'm gonna not, leave I'm not, her i don't care about her i'm using her yeah yeah and itchy's like we we should have done that like yesterday like i've been like itchy gets the crap beaten out of him by like a by like a, a rival gambling owner mm-hmm. or the casino owner 
Uh, and Charlie is like, the girl's useless. I mean, she's only here for <laughs> this Marie moment. And is walking by into the, down the stairs during yeah, the Yeah, yeah, and she hears this. Yep. And she, the way that she is animated, and she's already getting sick, and she's just, she fucking loses it. Like, she's like, like this is an actual child crying after yep. hearing that her her her. her Basically, her, her father figure is just say, "Fuck you, child! I want your money." Yeah, you mean nothing. That, yeah, it's it's a scenario I've seen in other movies, but there's a reason for that. It can hold a lot of power if done well. And yeah, and this I, one, and I think this is basically just a mastery of the craft of of the animation, where you're able to draw all these emotions sinking into one character. Yeah, you can fr- you can frame by frame the moment when Anne Marie's heart breaks, much like Ralph Wiggum. And it, yeah, yeah, and it fucking killed me as a kid. Yeah, I was like, oh my god, you poor child. And uh, as a kid, I just, I lost it too. Like there were tears streaming down my face. I could not handle that scene. And mm-hmm. to this day, I still cannot handle watching Anne Marie just go, you're a bad dog. And I'm like, oh my god, you, I just want to hug her. Truthfully, I, wanna, I, I hear that, and now okay, I imagine. Baby. I hear that, and I imagine Vanellope going, you really are a bad guy. <laughs> and that's another pretty powerful uh, betrayal scene. Yeah. Uh, um, there are so many things in All Dogs Go to Heaven that lead up to that point. There are, there are a lot of really cute moments that, I mean, if Charlie wasn't looking, uh, he'd actually see that he's providing a family for this girl under, yeah, ten, yeah. Uh, under really bullshit tr- circumstances. He helped out without realizing it. And yeah. That kind of helped sway him. Yeah, but he didn't have to do that, and that would have... Oh God! Oh, I have the image of her, her poor face burned into my skull. Okay, because you said that, I'm gonna make it the episode thumbnail. Sure. Okay. <laughs> I might you. not. I, saw, I maybe I'll do a collage with a bunch of crying. <laughs> That's characters. a great way to bring people to this video. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> we're about two timers running out, so I'm going to jump to. Uh, I think my first pick will be because you mentioned the first. The okay, the first. And we meant – I brought this up. It is – because this is the movie I credit with helping me discover Generation Animation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they weren't fond of it. The I doubt it was the, literally the first. But the first movie I remember really affected me to the point where I was just sobbing was uh, Snoopy Come Home, the second of the original Peanuts animated theatrical movies. Snoopy with a heavy heart and all the best wishes. This present. Goodbye, Snoopy. I remember you talking about this movie, yeah. Yes. Uh, for those who haven't seen it, Snoopy Come Home is it's most of the road trip movie because it turns out you find out Snoopy had an owner before Charlie Brown who mm-hmm. is sick and in the hospital and asks Snoopy to catch up with her. And he does. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember the circumstances, but she asks him to come back and live with her and he feels like she needs me more than Charlie Brown needs me. And it's my heart. I got to go. And homewrecker. So, yeah. So the last half hour of this movie is dead set on tearing your heart out if you mm-hmm. love Jolly Brown or Snoopy because they have uh-huh. a farewell party for him where everybody is just crying. They are mm-hmm. giving farewell speeches and gifts and just everybody's heartbroken and like it all captivates like Charlie Brown comes up for a speech and Snoopy's just sitting there crying the whole time with that you know that goofy Snoopy voice yeah yeah and yeah all Charlie Brown can do is that is his yell the ah <laughs> well, everybody in Snoopy is crying and it's so sad and then it, they just kick in the gut even more because when Snoopy leaves it's set to this like background musical number I think sung by Charlie Brown uh, about him just kind of dealing with depression and grief of losing his best friend and I remember the first time I watched the movie like 
when that song starts up, like Snoopy's walking away and Woodstock runs after him doing doing like his bird yell. You can tell he's going like, don't leave, I love you and stuff. And yeah. it's just shattered my heart to a million pieces. Um, is this is this the same movie where uh, Snoopy, uh, he goes into like a, he tries going into a museum, he gets kicked out and then the song goes, no, no dogs allowed. They do that like a billion I, times, yes. I Thug, remember that, yeah. Sung by, apparently sung by the voice of Tony the Tiger, the vacuum what? and Brave Little Toaster. And the guy who's saying you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. Get the fuck out, really? I didn't know he voiced And he has the best name ever, Thurl Ravenscroft. Thurl Ravenscroft? That was his name. Maybe he was born in Transylvania or something. Is he he an actual wizard? Well, he's dead now. Maybe he ascended to wizarddom. um, Jesus Christ! (laughs) Now, I I also want to touch on there are other peanuts. This is not the only time peanuts animation tug the heartstrings because now the end of Snoopy Come Home is a big happy uh, No Dogs Allowed saves the day because he can't enter the girl's apartment because of that sign and so yeah. he goes back to live and everybody's hunky-dory. Uh, the first Charlie Brown movie has an ending that is not so much a tearjerker as it is depressing and committing to it because yeah. uh, a, a boy called Charlie Brown, because no, Charlie Brown is trying to make himself feel like he's worthwhile so he ends up getting to accept into a national spelling bee. Uh, mm-hmm. the end of the movie, it's, you know, they're gradually getting eliminated. And so it's just him and one kid. And he's still close to winning. Then they give him Beagle. He misspells it, even oh, though he owns a Beagle. Dog is a Beagle. And the end, yeah. he comes home and is just feeling humiliated, injected. And he goes and just locks himself in his room and lies in his bed. Linus comes in to try and cheer him up. And he's like, I'm never going out again. I let everybody. And Linus says, I'm going to just insert the line, the finished episode. But Linus has this line where it's like, well, I can understand how you feel. You worked hard studying for the spelling bee, and I suppose you feel you let everyone down, and you made a fool out of yourself and everything. But did you notice something, Charlie Brown? What's that? The world didn't come to an end. Yeah, Charlie Brown. At the end of the movie, uh, it is not a... It's still not a being reward for his efforts because Charlie Brown has to leave and he goes out. It ends with him trying to kick the football from Lucy, and you can guess what happens. Yeah, it is... I really do admire that movie for being like, uh, life's going to be shitty sometimes and efforts can often blow up in your face, but that doesn't mm-hmm. mean you shouldn't keep going. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to make, you're going to make shitty mistakes sometimes. That's something I really, really admire down. about, about peanuts in general. Something I didn't pick up on as a kid until I read, uh, do you ever have the Calvin Hobbes 10th anniversary book? I did not. It was this awesome I... behind the scenes kind of thing with like a lot of messages and little mini essays from Bill Watterson. He cites Peanuts as one of his biggest influences and he just really admired like how soul crushing Charlie Brown's existence really was when you looked at it. Yeah. Um, and from also what... that's something I think they put kept in mind because did you see the recent Peanuts movie? I did not see the recent Peanuts movie. It's wonderful and I really recommend it to uh, anybody who I was worried they were going to screw that up and they didn't. But uh the end of the movie I, isn't depressing, but it is emotional and cathartic because it really does spell out. Like, I think it helps people realize why do we love Charlie Brown when he's such a screw up? And mm-hmm. the end of that movie, it, 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 it's wonderful. That's uh, good. I, it's a I great remember, movie all around. And I know, uh, I know a, a lot of comic. Um, I know a few of my web comic friends uh, who make uh, um, who make art uh, and who are like influenced by. Um, the Peanuts Gang and Calvin Hobbes. Yeah, I've heard them at least on one occasion cite the very um, the very specific scene you just mentioned. Um, in Peanuts movie? Yeah. Oh well, not not in Peanuts movie. Where uh, uh, you mentioned in the, um, your good man Charlie Brown. Oh, a boy where, named Char- boy called Charlie or, Brown. Or a boy named Charlie Brown, where he basically uh, is like feeling really crappy, and yeah. everyone and Linus is like, 
yeah, that's going to happen in life, dude. And it's okay. And I, I do feel that that's a, I, well, I feel like it's a poignant message. It's, yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah. way to go. <laughs> it's one that you, that most family movies, even back then are very rarely willing to approach. So yeah. And that's a shame. All the more yeah. for that. Uh, Chris, your next one. Okay. My next one is the land before time. Yes, you can. Another Don Bluth shock of yeah. shocks. Are you sensing a theme here? This is it just, it's just, just for these. these. Two, <laughs> this, this is the last one, I promise. Yeah. Or the last Don Bluth one. So, Land Before Time is uh, another another really, I don't want to say gritty, but Don Bluth's films, people, or at least the good ones. Yeah. People <laughs> tend to, okay, now, with Land Before Time, people tend to forget because of the deluge of shitty, babyfied sequels it got. The original is harsh. The, 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 the original was it could get really horrifying at times yeah. like it wasn't it, it wasn't about so singing and dancing no and about friends, friends. And it was, it, oh, that, there's well there's a there's a lot of that here but the thing i, I do like about more Don, well the, the thing i like about don blue's intentions when he uh when we talk about um his first few uh, great movies like american tale all dogs go to heaven and now we're talking about land before time mm-hmm. is that him too well, secret in them too, yeah. Where he's saying, oh, so that's four. So he's saying, look, it's okay that kids are exposed to uh, stories about death. Death yeah. is a natural part of life, and his films can get extremely spiritual at times. And I, oh, the end uh, of Secret of Nam. I adore that like so much. Um, I, I mean, and there are like a lot back of back for time, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Back to Land Before Time, where uh, Littlefoot and his family is. Well, right before his family is separated, um, his mom gets into a giant fight with a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Yes. Uh, and she does not walk I, away from it. She did not walk away from it. And probably because her spine was bitten in half. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm exaggerating. But I mentioned in, in an early episode, I first saw the movie with uh, some neighbors and I was six or seven. They were pointing out like, whoa, she's bleeding. Yeah. Like, yeah. There was, what is this? There, there was a very clear uh, bite wound in her back. And. Man, I don't know. I, I wish I knew who animated that scene or who animates all the great scenes and Don yeah. films. But that particular scene where uh, Littlefoot realizes that his mom's dying, and it was—it's—it's it's not one of those things where he then finds friends, where he immediately finds no, friends. He's on his own for a while. Yeah, and a lot of people can say that you know uh, the moments leading up to this are boring. But after Littlefoot's mom dies and he's weeping about it, um, he practically wanders the wilderness for a good little bit. Yeah. Uh, he essentially meets another dinosaur who uh, I'm not sure who voices him, but is uh, oh, the old guy. Yeah. He and he tries to cheer him up in a very bitter, grumpy old man kind of way. And I I I, I remember the emotion in that scene. And there's this one particular point, and I say that a lot. But there's this one point where Littlefoot is going back and forth with the old man. And he's a kid. He's a kid who does not understand some of the things he's saying. And then uh, after the old man, that old man dinosaur is like, do you understand? And Littlefoot's like, my tummy hurts. And (laughs) that part kills me. That just, just that little phrase, my tummy hurts through all that. Not even in an ironic way, uh, uh, in in a weird ironic way. 
hearing and seeing what Littlefoot has witnessed, has gone through, and knowing that he is now separated from his family and my tummy would hurt too. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's a very like you said, it's a very genuine reaction, and there are. I, I, I didn't want to. I don't want to make this into a big comparison of man cartoons back then were sure were great, unlike today, because there are great emotional stories in animated form out here. I, today. I will still champion a lot of the Leica films. As a lot of carrying the, yeah, the torch, definitely. Um, but it's we should remember that it's okay to talk about death and destruction because our world is full of that. Yeah. But it's also okay to talk um, to actually allow your characters to be in the moment and yeah to to feel things and having small having small little lines like that uh, i'm sure there is like a committee i mean i I wasn't scared of death as a kid i'm more scared of as an adult yeah yeah but it's still so but it's still something that should be talked about yes i mean even as uh, i'm gonna be honest with you as a kid i was fucking frightened of death i was like i I still believed in heaven when i was a kid so i wasn't (laughs) i was as a kid i was like i'm going to die and my, grandmother, sad my who, grandparents died but yeah yeah well my grandmother who's very religious uh is, was like you're going to go to heaven it's okay and i'm like but i still don't want to die what the <laughs> i like hell? to stay here <laughs> yeah but, i'm um, having fun right now <laughs> yes but okay okay now next one uh but i do but yeah land for time is go look that one up people and ignore the sequels they they are betrayal i i, I say that i will say that about a lot of things but yeah, Man. Um, yeah. No, my next yeah. one, uh, we're going over to the Japanese side of things now. And this isn't even really a thing I feel out of heartbreak, but just emotion. Um, one of my favorite endings in one of my all-time favorite movies, uh, the first movie to officially come out of Studio Ghibli, uh, Castle in the Sky. Shida, listen to me very carefully. Whisper the spell to me. I'll say it with you. Just put your hand in mine and trust me. Time's up. What is your answer? Huh? Alus. Ah, uh, um, you know what? I don't. I don't think I've ever completely watched Castle in the Sky. Man, I. It might be my favorite anime movie ever. Ah. Definitely in my top 10 anime movies. And I don't think that's a common opinion because mm-hmm. I don't see people saying they don't like it because most people do like it a lot of it. But I never hear people saying, yeah, that's my favorite. Yeah, I don't I don't hear a lot of people saying that yeah. even as far as but Ghibli. It, it, but check, this is- it, it hits every check for, checkbox from me. It feels mm-hmm. epic. It has great balance of genuine conflict, humor, action, um, some unpredictable moments towards the end. But uh, – so I feel a little bad I'm about to spoil the ending for you if you haven't seen it. Uh, but is, is that okay with you? Yeah, go for it. So basically, you know, the, the characters have been trying to reach this mythical floating city, uh, Laputa. Mm-hmm. And when our two main heroes, Pasu and Shida, get there at the end, because, uh, you know, the army's the villain for most of the, mo- the movie. Like, they're after the treasure, or maybe, like, because Laputa's, like, it's one of those, like, an ancient civilization with, like, better technology and weapons mm-hmm. um so they get there and it turns out the real villain is kind of the i guess he's kind of a historian who's been brought along who knows about laputa uh mm-hmm. named muska who is i saw i watched this in english and he is played brilliantly by mark hamill um oh. 
like towards the end, so he turns out to be an heir to Loptuan throne who can use a weapon. So he starts massacring the military oh. and takes the main girl hostage and is saying like, I'm going to, you know, take over this world and bring Lapidus power and intimidation back. No, um, Mark Hamill, don't. <laughs> and he's not he, the dark he, side. You know, Man, when he starts like cackling towards the end of this movie, it's almost Jokerish. And combined oh, with God. the visuals, I think it's really effective. Like it's, I go back and rewatch his betrayal, and it's really effective. But what I'm getting at is, so at the end, like the main girl Sheeta, who's the other heir to the throne, talks about, gives a great, very, still relevant speech about how, no matter how great your weapons are, no matter how powerful your technology is, the world can't survive without love. Which mm-hmm. it, that's that's a unifying theme in Miyazaki's work. He's very much kind of a pacifist and that kind of thing. So what happens is she does made it known earlier that there's a spell that you can cast with these called the spell of destruction, and it is lethal and deadly. And so Patu shows up with the last stone. He, he's taking it because it's the key to make everything work. And so this big mammon arrives, and he tell he says to uh, Muska, who has a gun drawn on them, "Let me talk to her, and then you can have the stone." And he tells her, "Whisper the spell in me. We'll say it together." Uh-huh. And they say this spell clearly, knowing they're probably not going to make it out. And oh. just the entire end is just this beautiful musical track, this beautiful timing, and just. It gets me. And the first time I saw it, I was crying because I thought they had died. And they don't. They managed to make it out. But still, the whole – and even after that, like, uh, the city rises – starts to rise fire into the sky where nobody will be able to reach it again. And it was Pachu's dream to reach this thing. And so there's this moment. There's no dialogue, just the music, him watching it fly away and realizing that's it. And it, it's wonderful. It's wow. it's such it feels like such a perfect capper on the journey this movie provides, and I don't tear up watching it because I feel like heartbroken, like oh, duh. I'm like, it's just a natural climax and conclusion, and man, it it, it rung true, it rung true for you. It rings absolutely true, and maybe that's why, maybe it not ringing as true for other people is why this movie isn't one of their favorites. But yeah, honestly, I I love the whole thing. There's so much other things I could talk about to, just to gush this movie, and I'm probably going to pick it someday. It, you know, I think we should because I, I don't. I feel like I don't watch enough Ghibli films. There's still or at a lot least I haven't seen. I haven't seen yeah. Nausicaa, Kiki, and Totoro, and I'm yeah. Very I mean, oh, we have Totoro, so maybe one day if you like. Oh, it. I have it. I just haven't. Watched oh, okay. It. But well, um, all right, yeah. fine. Yeah, we'll talk Castle <laughs> in the Sky someday. Um, and Chris. Uh, your next one. Okay, so my next one, and this is going to be a little out of left field, it's going to be Pokemon 2000. Lugia! Why are all those Pokemon down there? Because they feel they must be here in case they are needed. But what can they do to help? They are not sure, and that is why they are here. What do you mean? That just one Pokemon could help the world would be worth the journey for thousands of them any day. But this day, the one that can make all the difference is you. It's, also an anime. But actually, no, an, I think you're talking about this is another thing where it's not quite a sad thing, but emotional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, we talk about, I, I rambled on ends about how heartbreaking the first two old school uh, 80s, 90s car, um, cartoons were mm-hmm. um, as far as film is concerned. But this was around a time when car, uh, uh, when Pokemon was uh, taking Huge. over the world, yes. <laughs> and they um, they were like, "Okay, here's our second movie. It's about birds. All right, here we go." Um, so three legendary birds plus one giant guardian sea bird. bird, yeah, sea, sea bird uh, Lugia. 
Um, they're basically all right. So the three legendary birds, Moltres, Articuno, and whatever, whichever one, um, they're fighting and they're causing like a whole bunch of natural disturbances yeah, around the world. Yeah, the world's gonna end if they can't yeah, be sued. or something. Uh, th- <laughs> it doesn't make sense, but Lugia has to do like a healing song to calm yeah, them. But yeah, yeah, Lugia's healing song basically helps calm people, um, calm the, the animals down. Except he also needs Ash to put these. Ash, the main character, mm-hmm. uh, to put these very specific stones in three mountains, so the song could uh, could just chorus out uh, and co- and like fix the weather. Uh, it's 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 asinine <laughs> this plot, but I love it. I love the animation. I love uh, the build towards holy shit. The um, the world's going to drown. <laughs> Someone yeah, else, crazy villain who just doesn't give a shit. He's like, I just want to collect these things. Aren't they fascinating? Yeah, yeah it, it was kind of like well, he's got well, this actually, badass airship. Actually, I'm excited talking about him, and he had this giant wicked airship. And yeah, shit. Uh, uh, but the villain himself, I felt was he was just his his name might as well have been Steve. I, I don't know. Who, they don't who, say who, it in the movie. Was. Yeah, um, but there comes a point where everything relies on Ash, as it typically does. Um, and the story basically says, Ash, you have to save the world, or you have to do something important, or you have to do this specific thing to make everything all right and better. And this came around a time when I was in, uh, I was just starting out in high school, and I didn't exactly have a direction. I knew I liked games. I knew I liked cartoons. I, but I wasn't sure where to take them. I, I knew I was writing just for shits and giggles, um, and I knew that I loved anime. But I love, I love just, re- I love cartoons in general. But hearing the story as fan servicey, uh, fan servicey in a way of you have to buy our toys uh, and games. It was done in a way where uh, where it's typical of yeah. a uh, where it's typical of you're nine years old watch the Saturday morning cartoon, but seeing this kid like go gung ho and taking and, and taking and having his friends be they Pokemon or being like his regular human chums to go and fulfill this amazing thing that that really. That really got to me for some reason. Yeah. Well, no, they, that's the kind of the moral of the movie is like there's that part where like Louis is spelling it out. I was writing like one person can make a difference. The movie, yeah. the movie subtitle is the power of one. That's right. That's right. And I never, I never really, I kind of just glossed over that yeah. subtitle. Well, they, they, <laughs> I mean, the movie itself it's, does. Yeah, it's the Western title, but I was like, nah. That's you know what the, you know the Japanese kids. title was? What was it? Revelation Lugia. I would have done the, I would have done with that actually. That, that I would have been okay with that. <laughs> That's it's corny. It's corny as all the hell. The first one was the what? same in both countries. Mewtwo Strikes Back. Yeah, yeah, but you know what? I would have done with Revelation Lugia, but I know why they did it here for for to push uh, the moral more. Yeah, to push them on the, the the moral line of you have to go out and do this crazy thing. And Pokemon's always been about. You know, you have to be the very best and and go on this grand adventure with your friends mm-hmm. and do amazing and st- do amazing things and see just how bright and beautiful the world yeah. is. We didn't uh, we didn't dwell in the movies that much back when we did our Pokemon episode, but uh, I am actually with you in that Pokemon 2000 is far and away my favorite of the movies. Yeah, definitely. The animation was gorgeous. I love the music. It feels and the, the most epic. Uh, yeah, yeah, music's good. And the part where Team Rocket like genuinely shows up and helps Ash, oh, like yeah, they, they've they're, been 
they're they, kind of worthless they kind in the of other movies. They the line of good guy and bad guy uh, uh, like a few times before that, but this part was like, holy shit! <laughs> yeah, yes. they think they're sacrificing themselves. Yeah, and like, it's still like they're funny all, about it. like let's not say goodbye, let's just say, and then the meow goes, we're gonna die. die. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, this is happening. I think we did the right thing. I know we did the right thing, Jesse. And it feels great. Well, this is it then. <sighs> Let's not say goodbye. Let's just say we're gonna die. Like yep. seeing everyone just like push with all their might for one extra step, even while the world is crashing down around them, it it kind of lighted a giant fire in me. And I was like, and when I left the theater, I was like, well, number one, I was uh, I was gonna buy another ticket. And I got to see this movie again, <laughs> but. I, I felt like a genuine sense of there is something great that I can do. And I hope, and, and, and I said that as selfishly as a, as a bullshit child can say it, but I, I, my genuine hope is that there are movies still around like that, that still say in a genuine, a genuine, in a genuine way that, Hey, it is the world can look really grim sometimes, but you can still put your best foot on right, forward right. and keep climbing the mountain. Yep. Um, so we're getting down to the to what's the the home stride? <laughs> I don't remember. The home stretch. Home stretch. stretch. Home stretch. Home stretch. Home stretch. Yes. Um, my next one. Uh, this is uh, I guess this is the first TV show I pick. Um, a a show primarily known for being a comedy, but also really good at being a tearjerker, and that is Futurama. Son. I'm naming you Philip J. Fry in honor of my little brother, who I miss every day. I love you, Philip, and I always will. Ah. And I picked two episodes in particular: Jurassic Bark and Luck of the Fryrish. Have you seen either of these? I uh, the uh, I think the I dog saw Jurassic and the Clover Bark. episodes. Yeah, I saw. Yes, yes, I did. I saw the Clover episode. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and you the, seen the, the one with one? the dog. The one with the dog. That's the one where he basically had a dog and dogs waiting for him okay yeah basically the plot i'll just do that i'll, I'll go through them quick uh jurassic park because you know fry was frozen for a thousand years and woke in the future before he was frozen he befriended a stray dog at his workplace and they find the fossilized remains and are about and so Fry's trying to clone him so he can you know have grow up with his best friend again but mm-hmm. right when they start the process they determine like carbon dating oh he lived a full life of like 15 years and Fry's like wait stop he was able to move on from me and live this full life. I, mm-hmm. I then I don't need to force him back into another. Let's just leave him. Then yeah. you get this end montage. The dog spent the rest of his life waiting, growing old outside the shop for Fry to come back. Um, yeah, that was that was uh, hard. I'm like, Fox, why? Why would you show dogs this? Are my, I, I don't know if I mentioned that show. Dogs are my legitimately my favorite thing in the world. I love them so much, and I've grown up with so my my whole extended family and my own family loves dogs, and so. Man, it, it really hurts. Yeah. It really, really is powerful showing the love of a dog like that. Yeah, every every now and then, like, uh, uh, I mean, we we talk shit, well, I talk shit about Simpsons and Futurama every now and then. Like, the, the, the earlier seasons were better, or the later, se- later seasons were stupid. Yeah. But um, when the writers are going on um, going on all cylinders, man, they can they can really make you feel something. Simpsons had a lot of emotional moments too. I consider yeah. picking some, but uh, 
if I could only pick one, Dismiss never got me to physically tear her up. Um, mm-hmm. Future drama did with this and the other episode, Luck of the Fry Rich, which is about uh, finding out about Fry's brother. From also, this is also tying into his. So he and his brother never got along well. They were had a rivalry. The brother would keep trying to steal his things, take credit for it. And I so in that. the future, Fry finds out he sees a video of what looks like his brother with his name, and he's like, "Oh, pizza's here." That's not what Fry says, but I need to get up and get my pizza. <laughs> Give me thirty seconds. Okay. I was about to say, like, uh, that's 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 a very specific thing he would say. <laughs> and there he goes. Sir, I hope you've brought two pizzas, or there will be hell to pay. How dare! All right, I trust I trust that you uh, did some good improv. Yes, I did. Okay, so Fry's, Fry's brother's been taking credit. So he finds out, he sees what he thinks is footage of his brother, but he's under his name, who's like been the luckiest guy in the world with this clover that Fry found and left behind. And mm-hmm. so he's really like, you stole everything from me. And so he goes to dig up his grave and steal the clover. Then he sees what the uh, tombstone says. And we get this mm-hmm. final flashback. The brother, it is the brother's son. He named him after Fry because Aww. of how much he missed him and then gave the clover to the son for good luck instead of hoarding it for himself and mm-hmm. being like, I'm always going to miss my brother and this is my way of paying tribute to him. And I the end that. is just uh, tearing up Fry, silently putting the clover back in the grave. Yeah. Good and job, I remember uh, I watched this episode. I watched most of the first time when it was re-ran on Adult Swim. This episode uh, aired, mm-hmm. and I was sitting next to Patrick, my brother, who, uh, if you listen to Pokemon episode, he's, he's been on that. And, yeah, we're brothers, so we have argued a lot in our lives. And the moment that episode ended, I just turned around and gave him a big hug. Aww. So it's, it's really, like, for most people with brothers, so yeah, you're going to have a lot of disputes, but at the end, you're really, really going to care for each other. Yeah, that was that was a good episode. I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a, on a brief tangent real quick, and I think we can stretch this just a little bit. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Um, because there was an there was a movie. Uh, I, I talk about this like it's obscure. The Simpsons movie had something like it. <laughs> oh, do you mean Marge's farewell scene? Marge's farewell is it's effective. It's fucking. Oh man, that really got to me. I think what like, really got to me is like you kind of know like well they've had some disputes before and like so what really I think what really gets it is like Marge finally admitting like I don't have words to defend you anymore. And yeah, I don't have a reason to stay with you anymore, and I'm taping our wedding video to show that this is it between the us. And I was actually okay. It's funny you brought this up. I'm listening I, a podcast I listen to called Thirty Twenty Ten. People look it yeah. up. It's fun. They talk about this week, ten years ago, twenty years ago, and thirty years ago. Yeah. Uh, we recently went. We just had the tenth uh, anniversary of the Simpsons movie. Awesome. Apparently, that scene they did fifty takes with Julie Kavner, the voice of Marge, and mm-hmm. they used the last one. Good because that. I'm sure that took a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure every Simpsons episode takes a lot of work. Yes. But there, when you st- take a step back and you really look at the Simpsons as a whole, Marge has gone through a lot of shit. Yeah, man. I She has more patience than any other character in history, bar yeah. maybe Lois Griffin. Yeah. I, I mean, I want to be like, maybe Lisa comes a close second, but yeah, Marge. But- She's Marge married has, to <laughs> Marge has to put up with a lot of shit. Yeah. She can make mistakes too, but Oh yeah. They all can. Yeah, after hearing that uh, after seeing that scene, I was like, "Holy shit, this mo- this movie is wow, poor Marge." I I felt that. I I yep. genuinely yep. felt that. That yep. was Simpsons Okay, tangent happened. over. Sorry. Yeah, um but actually I think we can probably switch over to yours. I can't remember. Do you have one left or two left? I think it's oh, one. Oh, I have one left. Sorry. Yeah, all right, left. go for it. So this is what he meant. 
Kamina once said to me, he's always the one who saves my ass. He's always the one who never gives up. Never. Mine is another anime. Yep. No, she did too. As I adjust my monocle. Um, I hope it, everyone will remember a very underground show that no one has heard about called Guren Lagan. Guren Lagan? Guren Lagan, Guren Lagan, Guren Tapa, Gobbledygookin, Guren You You missed you the G. Call me that. No, you my missed the was G. A... It sounds like you were describing a show that might as well be called Piss Lagan. My mother was a saint. I will not hear <laughs> your shit from you. Okay, okay. So. Uh, Lagan, Garagabagaba, uh, yeah. follows this kid, uh, named Simon, uh, follows his very charismatic and damn idiotic, but, 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 bra but brave and badass leader of the, uh, of, uh, of the Guren gang or whatever he calls it, uh, Kamina. Yeah. Um, and, and it's probably gonna um, be a big spoiler for the stuff we're saying. There, so. There's a big spoiler. I'll try to avoid it as best I can. Um, and there, um, and they, they basically form what is essentially a ragtag army. Yeah. Humanity has been beaten unto underground. And on top of the, the, on top of the regular world where, you know, where there's air and shit, um, animals have basically been guarding and been saying, humans can't live up here. Fuck you. And they just shoot them back down. Yeah. And Kamina um, is leading the squad to try and take it back. Yeah. He's trying to, I mean, he, he's never been on the surface before. So at this point, he's teamed up with uh, uh, with some hot babes um, named Yoko, and she's a sniper, and it's cool as shit. And there comes a point where we realize that Simon really, really dotes on Kamina, and Ka and Kamina's like, "I believe in you, and uh, and but you should believe believe in me that believes in you." That yeah. it's it's the running phrase of the entire uh, of the entire show, yeah. and. That he doesn't for a while. He's and, all... yeah, he doesn't. He just believes that he's just along for the ride. And I, I, I like characters like that. And there are points where uh, I really want people are like, you know, Shinji, get in the fucking robot. Uh, and Simon same basically studio. has to. Yeah, Simon has to basically have to do the same thing, but in a different, de um, in, in a degree where he actually he's actually a likable character. Um, but. Everyone loves to be the you who believes in me and believes in you. Everybody, everybody loves that shit. You know, it's just hitting uh, me that Simone reminds, reminds me a little bit of Cham. Oh, yeah, you're probably right. Um, this <laughs> did I? Hmm. It might be on purpose. Just. I'm, well, now you got me thinking. <laughs> it's kind of like how I was looking at my spacious uh, characters, and then I looked at like Les's design and uh, traits, and I went, "Wait." Did I just make Gadget Hat Grinch? <laughs> did I just make? Did I just give Simon the core drill? Did, did I did I give Cham the core drill in his <laughs> yeah, own giant robot? Yeah, but well, it, not the robot. But, anyway, yeah, but essentially, this show came out uh, around a time when I I wasn't. Uh, how can I say this? Um, this is in college. I, well, I was in college, and I was about to leave college, and. I didn't feel like I was my best self. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like that I was doing what I had set out to do. After Pokemon 2000, I'd set out to, you know, make uh, the uh, to make some jaw-dropping stories and I'm still trying. Yeah. But by by the time I graduated college, I was feeling really down. I was feeling like, I mean, we've all been there. After the six months of your trial period where, oops, you didn't get a job. Guess you still have to pay out, pay back those student loans. And this was during the recession, which yep. arguably is still happening. Um, and I was, I was like, I don't, 
know what to do with my life. I can't get a job. I don't have any money. And I have to pay all of the money that I owe back. <laughs> I'm not as good as my peers. I, I can only know Flash animation and After Effects. And I'm, I don't have the illustrated illustration skills to get me where I need to go. What do I do? And hearing that, that cocky mani phrase, uh, which I took it as uh, essentially as be the best version of yourself, that made me get my shit in order. Right. I still made giant mistakes. Well, we still haven't talked about what the actual scene is. Well, yeah. Well, I'm getting to that. Okay. Um, there are two versions of this scene that really got um, um, of the show that that really that that really made me that really filled me with a sense of I can do this if I push to be a better me. And it was the scene where Kamina or uh, it was the scene where uh, Kamina's gang, Kamina's gone and Kamina's gang is imprisoned and trapped underground and they have no way to get out. And they're they're like, maybe we can bite our way out or punch our way out or I don't know, fart our way out. No, and no, and there's no way they can do it. Um, But uh, Simone, who has always doted on Kamina, does the only thing he knows how to do and because he because he's grown up underground and sheltered and super he shy he, he's always known how to dig and he has um essentially a cord um, a little drill a little teeny tiny drill that he is using to i don't know chisel his way out through a wall and it's he's making very tiny but deliberate decisions while doing it um in that scene where you hear the music kind of swell and Yoko's uh, and and Yoko, their their busty babe beauty is like, I rem- uh, this is the part where Kamina told me that he is the one who dotes on Simone because Simone is the um, because Simone always looks like he's pushing forward, and that th- that kind of that kind of brought me back to center uh, mm. uh, in that point in my life. I was like. I may not be as good as everyone around me, but there are certain things that I know that um, that I know how to do and I can do them better than I've been doing. And that was the point where I was like, I can do this. It's going to take very small, but very deliberate choices. Nice. But I can make, better decisions in my life this isn't it didn't fix everything like no, I, could, no, no. I couldn't just say this and be like oh a job just fell in my lap <laughs> um but it uh, but it also meant that i had to accept that not only did i have to improve where i was lacking but i had to improve where i was strong yeah so okay. there, there you go that's my girl lagan yeah i think that you saved the best for last in terms of the reason Yay! <laughs> um, and I, kind of coincidentally, I'm kind of the same way with my last pick. Uh, possibly the most recent on this list, too, and easily available on Netflix if you haven't. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm about to spoil the fuck out of the last half hour of Finding Dory. Hello. I'm Dory! <laughs> Aww. Finding Dory is a really good movie. I do not think it's as near perfect as the first Finding Nemo, but mm-hmm. it is still funny, charming, creative, and the most important thing to me in these kind of movies, it 
I think in some ways it tops the heart of Finding Nemo uh, mm-hmm. by taking a very different angle with Dory's story with her parents. Um, yeah. There is a bit, like kind of the bridge to the second act and the climax, like a 10-minute or so chunk that I think is one of the best things Pixar's ever done. So to set things up for people, you know, Dory's, they're at this Marines too because she's still trying to find her parents. And she, Marlon, and Nemo get dunked to that, that tank of other blue tangs who tell them, we're pretty sure they're dead. And Aww. Dory has a panic attack. And it's Aww. done, we get this part, it's like all from first person. Like everything's mm-hmm. blurring and, and it's effective. And like she gets accidentally just washed out back into the ocean. And then there's Aww. this really effective callback because the opening of the movie is also really heartbreaking. So we see like since she was like a toddler, Dory's been just kind of wandering because yeah. of her, the short-term memory. She can't really remember the details of her family or why she's even started wanting in the first place. Yeah. And it's been hard. And uh, even though I, I think the movie, it's uh, the, the idea of a Finding a Finding Nemo sequel wasn't necessary. Like when they said it was going to be a Dory story, I was thinking about like, yeah, we never did get her deal. So if you're going to make a sequel, this is what it should be about. And mm-hmm. man, so we get a callback basically to when she's first, she's lost in like that big, like seaweed kelp reef. And, Everything about this moment is so effective. The muted visuals and music, uh, just her really forgetting everything, just being lost and alone and scared. And God damn, it's so effective. And that's not even the best part. The best mm-hmm. part is, so I walked into the movie thinking, oh, this was going to be that they're dead. But when this, ha- when you know, when this happened, she got shut out. I was like, I, okay, that doesn't seem like a, it's it, but I don't know where this is going. Then yeah. she sees the shells and... Mm-hmm we're remembering like this was her thing as a kid she loved the shells and so she wanders and finds like there's been a line of shells left to this like little i don't remember what it is like a little like helmet type thing that's me a home and my first instinct was oh this is what happens before they died they were leaving they left the shells but then i went no wait the shells would wash away they'd have to be and then right when i thought that that moment you know she sees in the distance those blurs they come yeah. in and just hello i'm Dory and music swells and oh first time i saw this in theaters when those silhouettes appeared i gasped out loud oh i man and even after that like the beauty is so perfect just the music i bought that song on itunes instantly it's so effective and even sad after that is dory apologizing for how much grief her problems have caused and feeling like the catalyst for all of this uh and this is where i connected a little bit to myself because I haven't brought this show before. I'm not going to bring it up much in the future. Uh, I've suffered from depression for most of my life. And mm-hmm. I'm lucky to have a family who cares immensely about me. But I know it has taken a toll on them at points. Mm-hmm. Uh, just seeing someone so distraught and unable to help and just being worn down by it. But in the end, still loving each other and still being willing to put up with it. I have often asked them so many times, why do you put up with, with all this grief? And they've said, because of all the times outside of it. Yeah. There's and Dory's parents are the same way. Like, yes, you, this issue has caused so many problems, but that doesn't change who you are. That doesn't change how we feel about you. Yeah. Through, and I think that's something a lot of kids and even adults can sympathize with. Yeah. There is the movie. Um, I, I have a, have a bunch of misgivings with, but there, the movie does an excellent job of In that regard. Well, it makes you it makes you feel like that. Not only are you on the outside looking in, but you can't help them. You want to. You really want to be like, no, Dory, go over here. 
no, Dory's mom, it's okay. It's we know that we know things seem hard, but things will be okay. Yeah. But the movie is like you have to remain at arm's length, audience, because even, even before that, I love like one of the last flashbacks that shows when she got washed away is because she saw her parents, like her mom, crying, worrying, like yeah. how is she going to deal with this in life when she gets older? I don't know what we can do for her. Like that, yeah. that's, that's real. That yeah, that is real. That that hurt me a lot. I ugh. there are many parents who feel that way. Yeah, I I can't even imagine that. Like I just have, I have asthma. And yeah. that's not – that's far and away like nothing that anyone has to deal with on an emotional level, at least to the point where – it's still a disability. I have, it's still something it, that can affect – Yeah, yeah. There there were points when um, – back when I was very, very young where my family did not know what to do. They did not know how to pay for the medication. Oh, yeah. They don't – they didn't know like, holy shit, what does this mean? He Does he mean he can't breathe? What uh, – th- this felt like a new thing, uh, at least to them because – my my family of uh, of men were were strong, capable, able men, and I'm just mm-hmm. uh, a skinny kid with lung problems uh, who can't drink milk because uh, oh, that'll, like that'll, yeah, that'll exacerbate the problems. Um, but when I see movies like Finding Dory that really show a a disjointed family in a way where the parents are still super loving even though that they know that things are not technically as they should be and they're not going they to be still, they still love the kid and that that's being uh, seeing that emotional center that that's something the movie genuinely gets right mm-hmm. that that's it was it was it, and you're right it, it does top finding nemo in the, in that regard because it's regard. it's stupid um it's stupid poignant it's it's like oh my stupid god movie. <laughs> I don't want to say it's no. Stupid, I know. I, I did like it. Words. And yeah, I actually yeah. just real quick aside. I I toyed between choosing this and Inside Out, which is one of my favorite Pixar movies ever overall. Ah. Uh, and the end of that really does get to me. But mm-hmm. I think that's a more generalized issue of just the topic of sadness and change in life. Um, mm-hmm. The fact that Finding Dory spoke to a more a less freak a rarer issue, but one that I can on some level identify with. Uh, yeah. helped it stick out to me more even if I think Inside Out is the stronger overall movie it, and it, that's why I picked it because I think it was more worthy discussion on my it's, end it, it's also it's also not spoken about as often I, um, I mean in I, movies I, I yeah I know I know very very little about uh, emotional distress or or, um, or about emotional disorders I only know count it yourself from, lucky my man well, I, I've been, I can only say I've been depressed like maybe three times in my life and that's it. Wow. But then I have my wife who suffer, also suffers from depression. I have a number of friends who suffer from depression, uh, including, uh, including you. Right. And these are, these aren't things that people can just say, oh, go walk it off or go, you know, take a walk or yeah, something. Believe me, these, are, like these are 24 seven battles that families have to deal with. And I'm super glad that this movie tackled the issue of there may be something not uh, there, there. There may be something that's not um, that's not as it should be with our child, but you can still love them unconditionally. Yep. Yep. I think this is this. I think this episode we revealed more about ourselves than any other episode. Oh yeah. <laughs> but you talk about emotions and why they resonate with you. I think it comes with the territory. Yep. <laughs> Good thing I didn't talk about Sailor Moon. Oh, it's I'm sure someday. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I just revealed. Saying, I just, okay, I just full disclosure, revealed you, almost, you almost also picked a moment from Roger Rabbit. Um, I did. Because we wanted to cut down time, and uh, you said you talked about it enough. Well, I'm sure that, that will be an episode someday. I might even pick it for your sake, because um, mm. that, that is your favorite movie, correct? That is my number one favorite movie, right. yes. And I do know, uh, well, we can do Sailor Moon someday, maybe some sort of retrospective. Uh, I would oh, need to brush boy. up on it for a, a bit. But, um, That's going to be fun. Yep, it's about time for us to be drawing things to a close. We've gone okay. 10 minutes past our due date anyway, but uh, this has been a really cool episode to yeah. talk about all of these things. And our next episode, uh, it's going to be a big one that we have definitely been teasing at for some time. Um, what's, it, what's it about? What is, what is it about, John? Now. What is it? I will say the first off, it'll be a guest again. We're going to be getting our good friend Colin Bird back, who you may remember from the Ghost in the Shell episode. Yeah. Um, we're going to try to. Uh, it's certainly possible we might get a hit on Deadline. He might make it, but the goal is to have him. Uh, uh-huh. We're also going to try and make it a longer than usual episode. Because uh, mm-hmm. to coincide with the release of a little game called Sonic Mania, we're going to be doing a just completely general Sonic the Hedgehog retrospective. All the games, all the cartoons, all the spin-off material. We're we're gonna talk all of it. Yes. And there is no way we can contain that in just an hour and so, so we're going to need to find an evening where all three of us can just let loose for as long as necessary. Good, yes. Ooh, it's gonna be good. Yeah. And it's gonna be so good. Dude. People, you can listen to our previous episode for kind of a sneak peek because since Felipe brought up the uh, end of the Archie Sonic comic, and now I know uh, you share my uh, enthusiasm in talking about the Sonic OVA. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, this, oh man. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. They're like, what, five, six Sonic cartoons? How many games? How many other things to talk about? Like, it's such a gargantuan beast to take on. Yeah, uh, yeah, and yeah. that's why it's going to be long. Why I feel it deserves this amount of hype because yeah. I it's predict so- some crazy conversations coming from it. Oh my Colin god, it's going to be good. Oh, yep. I am geek. Oh, jeez, oh dude. And uh, it's going to get ugly if we're talking about Sonic <laughs> games. There's no way. Ooh, ooh, I think the first time I brought up the show, you went, "Oh, Sonic: The Dark Franchise." It's good. It's it's going to be good. It's going to be bad. It's going to be fast. It's, oh, it's going to. Oh, gotta go man. fast. It's gonna go fast. Um, so I'm so I'm excited. I'm very excited. Oh, it's gonna have all the memes. It's gonna have I'm, going. I'm oh so no. excited. It's gonna have watch out. You're gonna crash. Ah, it's I'm gonna sweating. have uh, strange, isn't it? <laughs> it's gonna have shadow making that angry face. It's gonna be. It's gonna be uh, trunks the hedgehog. It's oh man. It's gonna be OC. Do not steal. Oh the dose. Oh do not steal. It's not going to be Chris Chan. I think we touched on that guy's suffered enough. Um, but I'm sure we'll touch on weird. Have you ever seen the video of Tannic the Hedgehog? Tannic the Hedgehog. Oh, wow. I'll send it to you afterwards. It's ridiculous. Where is Tannic? We gotta find him. Um, but it's going to be all compassing people. But uh, give us time. Uh, we need to set aside a day for that. And I'm sure editing, it's going to be a beast too. Uh, but I am very, very excited for it. Yes. So I. As am I. So, again, if you want to follow us and uh, leave us feedback, uh, you can leave us reviews on iTunes, but also check us out on Twitter at SketchWatchPlay and Facebook.com slash SketchWatchPlay. You can find me on Twitter at Behonkis, B-E-H-O-N-K-I-S-S, and I'm actually working on, for my YouTube channel, uh, a Sonic video. Hopefully I'll be able to promote it by by that next episode. And Chris, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Chris Top the Wade, and you can also find me on um, Facebook, also Christopher Wade. Yep, and uh, so that it does about that. That about does it for this episode, and uh, we hope that we didn't make you tear up. 
yeah. Or actually, that I was going to be a joke, and I think it came out. I made it too genuine. But uh, <laughs> I, well, 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 I actually do hope they tear up. That's been yeah, my yeah. that's that's been my plan all along. Yeah, like, but quick, let's not end on a downer. Say something, say something funny, Chris. I hope that, I hope you remember that time that little girl cried. <laughs> that's hilarious, Chris. <laughs> oh the tears <my> of children. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Let's